Amen. Good evening. It's great to be here again at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. My family and I love to be here, and it's great to see uh, each one here. Good to have first-time visitor Russell in the back. Had a nice talk with him beforehand, and so good to have you here as well. And uh, you want some real preaching, come back and hear Brother Montoro preach, but I'll have to do for tonight. So take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 14, if you would. Proverbs chapter 14, and I'm going to preach from just one verse tonight, and that is verse number 12, Proverbs 14. And verse number 12, give you a moment to find that. Proverbs 14 and verse number 12, the Bible says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm going to ask you to read that responsibly with me. Uh, We'll all read it together. Ready? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Let's pray. Father, I ask your blessing tonight on this message. Lord, I uh, have nothing to say to these people, Lord, except to come from you. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd empty me of self, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, just bless this message in the hearts of this thy people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, when I pastored in Long Island, we used to take our kids to the Bill Rice Ranch, which was a crazy thing to do uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's a great camp, but it's a 17-hour ride. We used to do that every year uh, for many years. But I remember one year taking a busload of campers down to the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee, and this was in the days before GPSs and such as that, and we did have maps and directions and all that, but the roads were unfamiliar to me. And so as best we could... We followed the route south, and eventually in our traveling, we came to Washington, D.C. Well, uh, at Washington, D.C., we missed our exit. So I took the next exit, uh, and uh, having a pretty good sense of direction, I felt that we were still headed south, away from Washington, D.C. And we drove on all these side roads and all these twisty roads for about an hour. uh, And we were tired. We wanted to make good time. Uh, But after about an hour of uh, turns on twisty roads, we eventually came to a sign that said, Welcome to Washington, (laughs) D.C. We thought we were on the right road. It seemed to us that we were taking the right course, the right road, the right path, the right way. And we were very sincere about it. I mean, if it's sincere, it's got to be right. Except for one thing, it wasn't right. And after driving around for an hour, only to end up at the same place, I thought of this verse. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof can get a whole lot of campers mad at you. Amen. So this week, as I began to think on this verse for the sake of preaching, and I began to think of the countless conversations I've had with various people that I've worked with, people that I've met along the way, Uh, that really don't know what path to take through life. I remember I met this one man on visitation one time. I believe his name was Wayne. This was years ago. Wayne was 21 years old. He was a hip-hop kind of guy. You know, he, uh, he had his hat turned on backwards, and he was wearing those big baggy shorts, and he had these, um, earphones in his ears so he could listen to his music. But I was able to engage him in a conversation. And I asked him, so what are your goals? What are your aspirations? And it's like I pressed the right button or something because he began to open up to me. He began to tell me how he lived with his grandma. And though he had some talents and abilities, things really hadn't gone too well for him in life. Uh, 
Uh, he had a few jobs here and there, but he really couldn't seem to keep one. And he didn't know how he was ever going to get out of the mountain of debt that he had. And he just wasn't really, life just wasn't really going very well for him. And, I, and he said to me, he said, I don't know where I'm going or what to do with my life. And I said to him, Wayne, there are only two ways to lead your life. Your way and God's way. And I quoted this verse and I said, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But I also said the Bible is not about death. God did not make us to die. Amen. He made us to live. And so the Bible is about living. It is about how to live. And how to have life. And so the Bible tells us in this verse, there is a way that seems right. But it leads ultimately to death. Then God, being a a loving God, must present us with a way that is right. That leads to life. And so I talked to him, and I'm going to talk to you this evening about the way of life and the way, according to the Bible, that is right. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And what was true for Wayne is true for me, and it is true for you as well. And there may be somebody here this evening, and perhaps you're here, and you make no claim at all to be a Christian. I mean, you don't even claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You make no claim of being a follower of His or or being saved. And I want to say to you this evening, you need to hear the warning that is in this verse tonight. Or you may be here and you may be saved. You may be among those that have been saved in recent years or months. Or you may be among those that have been saved for years and years. And you may have the matter of salvation nailed down. You may have the security that comes from uh, the witness of the Holy Ghost and the testimony of the Word of God. And you may know as well as you know your name that you are saved tonight. But you need to hear this just like I need to hear this. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Everybody needs to hear this. And we need to hear it about everything. And so here is Wayne sitting there. And Wayne said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And it may be like that for you. You may be at some kind of crossroads in your life. Or it may be that you have, it may have to do with marriage. It may have to do with money. Finance. It may have to do with a career, with college. It may have to do with religion, as some often term it. Or with politics. Somebody says, I never talk about politics or religion. Well, you may be confused about both. It doesn't really matter what the subject is. We need to understand this, that whoever you are, and whatever the issue is, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But it's the way of death. Now, I'd like for us to look at this passage a little closer tonight. And I'd like to explain that we are not going to focus. One thing we're not going to do is focus on the way that does not seem right. In other words, there is the presence of evil, of wickedness, of ungodliness out here that cannot be justified by the, even by those who are not believers. 
who don't know anything about the Bible, like Bernie Madoff. Some of you may not remember that name. Others of you know full well who he is. A man who through dishonesty and through sheer deceit took millions and hundreds of millions of dollars through his investment company and stole it. And many, many people never got their retirement and lost their investments completely. And Bernie Bernie Madoff went to court and even he did not try to justify his own actions. He said, I knew sooner or later that my actions would bring me to where I am today. In other words, what he did was so bad and so wicked that even he didn't try to justify it. It was that bad. And we read about men like Charles Manson who committed unspeakable crimes. He and his followers killed many innocent people. And the behavior of those like Jeffrey Dahmer, who some of you may remember was a mass murderer. Or Ted Bundy in Florida, another mass killer. Nobody stands around and tries to justify their actions. We all know they are unjustifiable. Nobody thinks that those men did right. Nobody in the right minds thinks that the actions of an Adolf Hitler toward the Jews or Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein were justified. Uh, we're not talking tonight about the presence of evil. We're talking about the way which seems right in the eyes of man. And the Bible tells us there is a way that seems right. And nobody would look at the names that I just listed and say, well, it seems right. Only a deviant would think so. Only somebody twisted in their thinking could possibly think that those men did right. But we're talking about a way tonight which seems right. Which is commonly accepted as right. A way. And so I only have two points tonight. I want to talk first of all about the way that seems right. So I looked up the word way to see what it means. And I know we kind of know what the word means, but sometimes the definition is interesting and it kind of helps it gel in our minds and so forth. And so I looked up in Webster's Dictionary and the way has to do with a course to follow. I know that's no new revelation to you, but I'm just trying to reinforce what's being said here. Uh, The way has to do with a path that is chosen, a course that is taken. You see, there is a choice involved. There is a way or a course that may be chosen as opposed to another way or course. The way has to do with a passage that one takes to get from one place to another. One plans his passage. He says, here's the course that I'm going to take or the way we often say it. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to seek this career. I'm going to marry this person. And we choose our way. And your life is moving, you know. It is going somewhere. Time is marching on, isn't it? And all of us are involved with going somewhere and being on the move. And the question tonight is, what course are you taking? What course? Because there is more than one course you can take. And there is a way which seems right unto a man. But the Bible assures us that the end thereof are the ways of death. And so there must be a way from the word of God that is right. We must understand this. 
Some would say, well, let your conscience be your guide. I was out on visitation knocking doors one evening and I knocked on this one door and it was answered by this stereotypic grandmother type. I mean, she had the silver hair and the dress and all of that and a sweet countenance on her face and she just looked like everybody's grandma, you know. And I, and I said, hi, I'm Pastor Palman. We're just visiting our neighbors, inviting them to church. And the moment I said that, her countenance suddenly changed. <laughs> and her nice countenance was no longer so nice. And she said, I go straight to God. And I was thinking, well, I never said you couldn't pray directly to God. But as the conversation progressed, it turned out that this lady was anti-church, anti-Bible, and anti-Israel. And she said, I've been to church. I've sought the truth. This is what she said. And all people are concerned about there is money. Now I'm thinking to myself, that's not all that I'm concerned about. But she said, they're all just concerned about money. And they're concerned about uh, building their empire. And she said, you can't find in the Bible where Jesus ever started a church or suggested that anybody should. I guess she never read Matthew 16, but anyway. And then she said to me, I, I, I bet you think Israel is the chosen people of God. And I said, well, that needs to be qualified. I said, by, their actions don't say that they are the chosen people of God. Uh, but, um, but God made a covenant with them that says they are the chosen people of God. She said, boy, every problem we have among the nations of the world is because of Israel. That was her opinion. Not mine, that was hers. <laughs> and she declared that they are not the people of God. And she said, that book that you call the Bible, it was just written by men. And she said, yeah, there's some good things in it, but the Bible is not meant to be preached. It is not meant to be taken literally. And here's what got my attention. She said, why do you need a Bible? Don't you know the difference between right and wrong? And that was her question. And you know what she was saying, don't you? She was saying, why do you need a book to tell you what's right and wrong when you have a conscience? She was saying that every man's conscience is what determines what is right and wrong. She believed in no book of absolutes from the Creator. By the way, that's how we look at the Bible, as a book of absolutes given by the Creator to His creation. But this woman saw no need for a book of absolutes or absolute truth for the benefit of the creation. She didn't believe in the literal account of creation. She believed the Bible was just a book of man. <clears throat> so she could only come to the conclusion that right and wrong could only be determined only in the conscience of every person. Now, this is going to be the understatement of the night. But besides being unbiblical, the problem with that is that our consciences have been somewhat affected by the fall. Now, I'd call that the understatement of the night. Our conscience, while real, has certainly been affected by the fall. Have you ever heard of a seared conscience? 
And all of us, our conscience, it's real, it exists, but it's, but it's been affected by the fall. And the conscience of man has been affected since the Garden of Eden, uh, when the descendants of Adam and Eve uh, then have been born. Watch this now. Every one of us has been born in darkness. The Bible teaches that we are in spiritual darkness. And therefore, our conscience cannot be trusted as a guide to absolute truth and to absolute right. Because the conscience of the unsaved is in darkness. That's what the Bible says. Paul said of the unbeliever in Ephesians 4.18, he said, for their understanding, and he is talking about the unsaved, he's talking about himself before he was saved, he was talking about the Ephesians before they were saved, he was talking about you and I before we were saved, and he's talking about anybody here that is not yet saved. And he says their understanding is darkened, so they cannot properly see. They can't make proper judgments. They can't make proper evaluations. They can't see clearly. The conscience is affected by the fall. And the conscience, too, is in darkness. Somebody says, well, I'm not sure I believe that. All right, let me give you an example. Keep your place in Proverbs. Go to Acts chapter 22. Just real quick. Acts chapter 22. Paul is giving an account to the Sanhedrin council. It's the ruling council of the Jews. He's in big trouble with his own people, the Jews. And in Acts 22, in verse number 4, Paul is telling what he did. He said, and I persecuted this way, the way of Christ, Christianity. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. I'm sorry, verse 3, he said, I should have read that one first. He said, I am, I, and I verily am a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are this day. And so Paul says, you know, before I got saved, I was zealous toward God. I believed in God. I wasn't an atheist before I got saved. I believed in God. And I was even zealous for God. And then he says to this Sanhedrin council to the Jews that are depending on their own works for salvation, that are depending on the law of Moses. He says, I was zealous before God as you are today. And so Paul was talking to people here that were zealous for God. But now read verse 4 with me again. Verse 4, he said, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And so here is what we know before his his conversion. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And what's he doing? Well, he's a Pharisee. He is a religious man. He believes zealously in God and in the law and in the Old Testament scriptures. So what's his business? What's his activity? Well, his activity in his daily business was to shut down uh, what this Jesus of Nazareth came to build. To put an end to this faith, this way that he came to, that, that says Jesus came to fulfill the law. And the requirements, requirements of the law are fulfilled in him. And that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. And Saul of Tarsus' purpose was to destroy the churches that were established to spread the gospel message everywhere. 
And Saul of Tarsus saw the gospel spreading like wildfire. And he said, not on my watch. And he set out to put men and women in prison. To compel them to blaspheme. To, to, he consented to the death of some of them like Stephen. Who was stoned to death. Now can I get your attention here? He did that with a perfectly clear conscience. Yes, he did. Somebody says, you can't prove that. I think I can. It'd be silly for me to make a statement that if there wasn't something in the Bible to back that up, amen. Uh, he did it with a perfectly clear conscience. His conscience was saying, you're doing God a service. You're doing, Saul, what God would want you to do. And his conscience was saying, you're doing the right thing by persecuting Christians. And in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 13, Paul said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And so Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross and before he died. And he told them what to expect about his death and then what to expect following his death. And in John 16 and verse number 2, he said some of them are going to think that they are doing God a service by putting you to death. And so we shouldn't be surprised that what Jesus said came to pass. Amen. So Saul of Tarsus is one of those that shows Jesus' words came to pass. Because here he is in, in all in, in, ignorantly. He did it in ignorance and unbelief. He wasn't trying to be evil. He was trying to be zealous toward God. And with a perfectly clear conscience, he is trying to hunt down and kill Christians. Because in his twisted thinking at the time, he thought he was doing right. I read about a ship in the 19th century that was being tossed about by a storm. And this is the day, in the days before batteries and those kind of things. And as the storm was blowing and the ship was turning around, uh, their ability to function was greatly being hindered by reason of the extreme nature of the storm. And they were attempting to find out how far they have uh, gone off course. And they were trying to identify where they were. And at one point, the man that was responsible took the compass. And before, it was getting very, very dark and he could scarcely see. And he said, near as I can tell from this compass, what we ought to do is turn the ship this way. And if we don't turn the ship this way, we're going to hit the rocks and we will perish. So he looked at the compass and he saw the best that he could. And he used the good vision as, 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 as he could possibly have uh, with the amount of light that he had. Uh, and he had them turn the ship the way that seemed right. Right into the rocks. And the ship sank. And nearly everyone on the ship died. Now nobody ever thought that man was a murderer. Nobody ever thought that that man in his heart was trying to deceive the people. Nobody doubted his sincerity. But that man with the amount of light he had did the best he could to navigate to the right course. And it seemed right to him and those that were about him. But the fact that he was sincere and the fact that it seemed right did not spare the damage. It did not. Now, we know about Saul of Tarsus, don't we? 
One day he's on the road to Damascus. His purpose is to hunt down Christians, to shut down the church that is in Damascus, uh, to uh, persecute Christians. And he's on his way to Damascus and, all, and suddenly he is smitten to the ground. And there was a light from heaven that was exceedingly bright. And there was a voice that spoke to him from the sky. And it was so bright that the Bible tells us Saul was blinded. And the voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul responded to the voice and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Saul said, What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? And that day on the Damascus road, Saul of Tarsus saw the light. Amen? And he saw the light that is Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And when Saul saw the light, his conscience was suddenly changed. And he now had the ability to see clearly. And the same zeal that he had poured out against Jesus and against his church, he now used it for Christ and for the spreading of the gospel and for the establishing of the very kind of churches he was trying to destroy. What a story. What made the difference in his life? The answer is the light. That's what made the difference. He was navigating according to what he saw in darkness before Jesus saved him on that Damascus road. After his conversion, he took a new course. He took a course, a passage away that was totally governed by the light with what he now had. And we have to say, what a difference. What a huge difference. You see, tonight there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Do you see what Solomon, who penned our proverb, is doing? He has warned. He has warned that the way that only seems right isn't right. But it leads to death. And there is a way that only seems right. But it's the way of death. Somebody says, Preacher, you pulled this passage out way back in the book of Proverbs. And you talk about it in the year 2017 on a Thursday night to people that are assembled, mostly Christians. What for? Okay, so that we might be warned. That to follow the way that only seems right is the way of death. That's why. You see, the expectations of the wicked, the Bible says, shall be cut off. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, when we say wickedness, we often think of murder, immorality, homosexuality, violence, perversion, and all that kind of thing. But in the Bible, wickedness is this. Listen, uh, it is the rejection of God's light. It is the rejection of God's truth. That's what wickedness is. So the people who got stoned on drugs last night aren't the only people committing wickedness. The people who cheated on their wives this past weekend are not the only ones committing wickedness. And the blasphemers that curse the name of God are not the only people that are out there committing wickedness. And I'm telling you, for us, you and I, 
Anytime we question God in the sense that we are disobedient to his revealed word, anytime we are faithless, anytime we are not willing to act on what God says, anytime we do that, it's wicked. It's wicked. And the expectation of the wicked shall be cut off. So it doesn't matter what issue in life you want to talk about. If we talked about the way of salvation, certainly we need to understand there's a way that seems right. I said there's a way that seems right. And the wickedness in the way that seems right has everything to do with with someone's pride. And one's pride says, my way. I do things my way. It's the way of Lucifer. It's how he himself was deceived into believing that he would rise above the throne of God. He said, I will be like the Most High. And then he went to the Garden of Eden and he tried to convince and he did convince Eve of the very same thing. Your way, Eve. You choose your own course. You take your own path. You do it the way you want to do it. Lo and behold, here comes Cain. And Jude, long years later, warns of the way of Cain, doesn't he? Who rejected the blood sacrifice and tried to please God with the works of his own hands. Now, here's the way that seems right with regards to salvation. Okay, we live this life. We do some good. We do some bad. But there's a good and righteous and caring and forgiving God in heaven. And so one day we leave this life and we stand before God. And God takes this huge scale and he puts our good works on the one side and our bad works on the other side. And whichever way it weighs out, that's what we get. Dear Lord, have mercy. That's the way that seems right. According to the majority of humanity. But it's the way of death. It's the way of separation from God and all that is good forever and ever. And it's characterized by the Pharisee that stood there at the temple. He lifted up his voice and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men. That I'm not an extortionist. That I'm not an adulterer. That I'm not like this publican right over here. That's the way that seems right. Come on, have you ever knocked doors and talked to lost people? You're going to hear things like, well, I mean, I don't think I'm as bad as a lot of people I know. That's the way that seems right. To compare ourselves among ourselves. Well, do you know that you're going to heaven? And they say, well, I think I'm going to heaven. And why wouldn't I? Now, I'm not perfect. I never said I was perfect. But I'm telling you, I'm not as bad as some people. In fact, I know a person who goes to your church, preacher. You ought to know what he did. Well, maybe I already do. Well, I don't think I'm that bad. That's the way that seems right. You find someone who looks worse than you do. You bring them before God and you say, now, come on, God. I wasn't that bad. I wasn't as bad as that guy over there. And don't forget, I've done a lot of good things in my life, too. And there is a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. 
Hold on a minute. It doesn't matter how many take that course. It doesn't matter how many approve and say, right on, you're going the right way. It still only seems right. It doesn't matter how many others have gone down that path. It only seems right. It doesn't matter how many say, this is the way you pass from earth to heaven. This is how you do it. It doesn't matter how well trodden that path is. It only seems right. It seems right. But it leads to death. All right, preacher. Well, I suppose that you know the way. Well, since you put it that way, yes. We talked about the way that seems right, but secondly tonight I want to talk about the way that is right. Because Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am one of many ways. He said, I am the way. You can even understand that in the King James Bible. Amen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, there's no death associated there. No dying associated there. I'm not talking about the expiration of the physical body that we all experience. I'm talking about your relationship to God. I'm talking about the destiny of your eternal soul. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. When a person who rejects God dies, and they did not know Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, then they are eternally separated from God in a place called the lake of fire, and the Bible calls it the second death. And no matter how right it seems, no matter how many people are on that way, no matter how, how logical it sounds to, to somebody, it only seems right. But God has taken the time and effort to tell us that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Listen, any way but a personal faith in Jesus Christ may seem right. But God warns us here that death follows. Somebody says, Come on, preacher, everybody's going to die. Yeah, but we're talking about the second death. We're talking about the death of the soul. Versus eternal life. We're talking about eternal separation from God in all that is good. Uh, we're talking about the lake of fire for eternity. That's what the Bible calls the second death. Eternal separation from God. Somebody says, but I've got a book in my library where a scholar, doctor, so-and-so says this and, this and thus. Yeah, there's a way that seemeth Right? And it doesn't matter who contradicts the way that is right. Or how logical or theological they make their explanation sound. In the end, it only seems right. Friend, I don't say this arrogantly, but if you don't come to God, God's way. You'll not get there any other way. Okay, so let's talk about those who are saved and on their way to heaven tonight. That would be the majority of us here in this room. How many here have settled the issue of the eternal destiny of your soul? Let's, let's see your hands. You say, I'm saved and I know it. Praise the Lord. That's most of the people in this room. You may put your hands down. You've got it settled. 
You're God's child and you know it. Aren't you glad about that? That's wonderful. You're saved. You know where your eternal destiny is. But listen, we still have a life to live, don't we? Just like that board game called life, there's a lot of decisions to make. I could go this way and I could go that way. And this life to live that we have, on it there's a course to take. And in the course that we take for our life, there is also a way that seems right. But it leads to death. Now I'm not talking about the second death now. If you're saved, praise God, you will have no part in the second death. You cannot lose your salvation. The Bible teaches that. We're not talking about a way that might cause you to lose your salvation. That's not even possible. Uh, To know Jesus Christ is to know life. To know Jesus Christ is to know life eternal. In fact, He is life eternal. But Christian, you too are going to choose a course for your life. There's a course in life that you're going to take. There are choices that you make about what path you're going to be on. What road you're going to be on. And you need to know as, as much as anyone else, like I need to know, that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. And the end thereof are the ways of death. You know what Paul said to Ephesians? Remember when you used to walk, he said, according to the course of this world. He was reminding them they were on a different course back then. And you know what that means, don't you? Uh, The world used to govern your way. It used to govern your thinking. But Paul was saying to them, you're not there anymore. You're not, uh, you're going, and, and you're going to choose the course of this world. Or you're going to choose the way, according to the Bible. But we have a life to live. There are decisions that you have to make. There's a course, even as a believer, that you have to take through life. And it's just as true, this proverb, for all of us who are saved. There's an application for the lost, yes. There's an application for the saved. And sometimes little children are sucked into a trap by their unsaved friends at school to have the attitudes that the world has about authority and about church and about uh, the Bible and about being, quote, cool, unquote. And you better watch it because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Then we enter the teenage years. And there is the way of the world that says, I don't have to listen to my parents. I don't need church. I can do anything I want to with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend. Friend, you better watch it. Because there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Then you become an adult. The world says, make money. You have to live a certain lifestyle. It's okay to miss church. It's all about making money. It's all about enjoying the good life. And you're in church when it suits you. And you're out of church when it suits you. Hey, there's there's the world's way and there's God's way. And there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Then we come to that stage of life that many call retirement. 
And it's not wrong to be retired if you have a retirement. Praise God. But the world's attitude is, I've served my time. Now I don't have to do anything. And if we're not careful, we can carry that over into God's Word. But friend, nowhere in the Bible does it says that we can retire from serving God. Not, not until we get to heaven anyway. And somebody says, hey, I've worked 45 years and now I'm going to take it easy. And that may seem right. It may seem like what everybody else is doing. And it's what everybody else says. But friend, it isn't right. Sir, are you serving in the church? Ma'am, are you faithful to God's house? Are you still being a witness for your Savior? Maybe you're here tonight and you're in a transition time in your life. And you've got some decisions to make. A course to take. Just like I've got a course to take. And I'm going to take a course that I choose until Jesus calls me home, either by death or by rapture. I'll tell you, I sure want to be on the right course myself, don't you? I sure want to be on the right course that God wants me to be on, don't you? I want to be on the right path. But there is a path that to so many may seem right, but not be right. And you can't argue with this. It's what the verse says. Some kind of death occurs when I live the way that only seems right. Now, obviously, we know we can't lose our eternal life if we're saved. But my marriage can die. My fellowship with God can wither away. My joy can die. My usefulness to God can die. I can lose purpose. I can lose heart. I can lose peace. I think it behooves every one of us at whatever stage of life you're in to just stop and look and say, now the choices I'm making, the course that I'm presently on, Is it because it seems right to so many? Well, my wife agrees. With all due respect to your wife. She may have been been the final voice in a lot of things in your life, but she's not the final voice on this. God's already spoken. I know this may not be going over so good, but I believe it needs to be said. Your husband may approve. Your children may approve. Your friends may be cheering you on. Your family might be good with it. Your other church members may approve. Approve about what? About whatever course you're taking. But it's only right if it's the way that is right. Not the way that seems right. And our heart can make almost anything seem right. Because we really want it to seem right. Jeremiah said, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Uh, because, Because the way seems right. Or, or because the way that seems right is about you. The way that seems right has to do with you. You yourself. Your wishes. Your wants. Your goals. Well, what did you want to be doing at this stage of life? 
What does it matter what I wanted to be doing at this stage of life? I have a master. Is the course you have set for yourself what you've seen other people do? Or what appeals to you? Or is it the course that God has set for your life? These things matter, ladies and gentlemen. Because there are a lot of saved people tonight that are in Christ. They are saved as the Apostle Paul was saved. That have experienced death. Not as in losing their salvation. But the death of joy. The death of peace. The death, death of contentment. They've lost their children. They've lost their purpose that God has for their life. And I have never met anybody living for themselves that said, I'm so content. I never have. I've heard people say that, but they were lying and they knew it. Because there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm going to ask that everyone stand and heads are bowed and eyes are closed as the pianist comes. Perhaps there's someone here this evening and you're lost. You've been trying to make life work your own way. You thought you could somehow make it to heaven your own way. Maybe tonight you've realized that it's God's way or not at all. All religions are not the same. There is a way that seemeth right. The Bible says, but it's the way of death. Would you come this evening to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Would you trust Him alone to save your sinful soul? We invite you to come down the aisle and meet us at the front. We'll have someone talk with you, a man with a man, a lady with a lady. And just show you from the Bible how you can get on God's road to eternal life. There is no other road to get there.